Uh, it's, it's an honour to be here and to look at the scriptures uh, with you. So we're going to be doing a character study this morning. Uh, before we do that, it was about May 1984. I had been working about six or seven years by that time uh, as a graphic designer. I was involved, quite heavily involved in church in Stenhouse Muir, where I came from. And, but things had been happening in my life and I had a very <clears throat> deep sense of restlessness. And I felt that I, you know, probably wasn't going to be a graphic designer all my life. Although, to be honest, I, I really enjoyed that work. It was creative and it was good. And the time, you know, when I was at work, I sometimes thought, this is great. Imagine being paid for something you really love doing. <laughs> um, but in that right deep down sort of here, there was this restlessness. And I felt convicted that I should think about going to Bible college to resign my job and to go to Bible college. And I thought, well, where does this come from? You know, we, eh, I just didn't really know. And eh, the conviction grew and I began to get quite confused. And then there were different things in my <clears throat> reading of, just my regular reading of the Bible, there were verses that jumped out that seemed to confirm that and increase my restlessness and uh, and then I thought well I mean you know to, to resign my job and my salary and how do you live and, and all that and I know all this about God supplying needs and living by faith I, I know all that sort of here you know but I mean this is a massive step I got quite confused and I remember one of the godly elders in the church in Falkirk, all about all in Falkirk, that our church had a uh, good relations with, and there was a chap there, a doctor, Alec McIntosh, a deeply spiritual man. He's now with the Lord, but uh, he is a a doctor of science at Strathclyde University. Very, very bright man, very busy man too. He phoned me one day and he said, "I hear you're thinking about going to Bible college, and how, how is that going?" I said, well, to be honest, I'm really, really confused. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure just how to interpret all of this. And to be honest, I'm, I'm quite nervous about it all. He said, Derek, what are you doing on Saturday? I said, well, nothing really. He said, I'm going to pack a sandwich, a sandwich lunch for both of us. I'm going to drive over from Falkirk to Stenisimir. I'm going to pick you up. We're going to drive over to the Oko Hills. Uh, not all that far away, you know, Aloha, Main Street, Tillicutri. And we're going to go a hill climb together. I'm going to climb the Mayat. And what we'll do is you just explain to me what's going on in your life. And we'll pray about it. And we'll talk about it. Well, that man gave me the whole of that Saturday. And that's what we did. And we walked up right to the summit of Damayat. You could see the beautiful view of the fourth valley and the river, you know, just snaking around and 
And on that hill, I shared everything, my heart, and he listened, he asked a few perceptive questions, and then we prayed together. And when we came down that hill, somehow or other, things were much clearer. And I knew what I had to do. And I resigned my job, went to Bible college, and that set the trajectory for the years ahead. I've had this kind of thing happen at various times in life where people who have been, and I can only describe them as Barnabas-type figures, who have given of their time and their wisdom, who have come in at crucial times into my life, and sometimes heading off on a trajectory that maybe wasn't quite right, and coming in and, and, and giving me a dunt, not always gentle, but often very necessary to set back on uh, the, the road again. And so I have always been thankful to the Lord for people like Barnabas, and we're going to be looking at him today. Uh, he features, of course, in the book of Acts, and uh, he's not actually all that prominent a figure in the New Testament, but as we look at this this morning, uh, hopefully we'll see that not all that prominent, he certainly is not one of the sort of big hitters, as it were, but uh, a very significant figure nevertheless. And uh, in Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37, this is where we, we meet him at first. Now, the thing is, in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit had come, the church is going great guns, and uh, people, you know, the, 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 uh, the apostles are preaching away, people are uh, uh, coming to faith in the Lord Jesus, and, uh, and, and there are amazing things happening. Now, of course, you know, uh, <clears throat> there's persecution beginning to happen, but the, the, the believers are really preaching in power. And uh, in verse 36 of Acts chapter 4, we read about this man, his name, his real name, Joseph, verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. And then uh, Luke takes time just to explain what that means to us. And he says, which means son of encouragement. And it's interesting, the first thing we read of him is doing something that will bring encouragement to some of the believers who are in poverty in Jerusalem. He said that he sold the field that he owned and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And so he could see that some of the believers were in poverty. He had stuff that he didn't really need. He sold it. He brought the money to the leaders of the church for them to distribute to where it was needed most. Now that's an act of encouragement, Barnabas, son of encouragement. And that was basically his nickname. I remember <clears throat> hearing about a chap who worked among a, a worked in Africa and worked in this particular area. Uh, <clears throat> it was with this uh, tribe that their language was very, very difficult to learn. 
And uh, he actually stuck at it, and he managed to master the language. But the other foreign workers, missionaries and so on, they only knew the general, you know, the main language around. They could never seem to master the local language. But what he, he said was that he said he was quite shocked, because when he learned the local dialect, the local language, he discovered that the Africans uh, gave nicknames to the foreign workers that were around. And he said these nicknames sort of summed up what they perceived to be their character. So one of them had a nickname, Arrogant. Another had a nickname, Bossy. And he was quite shocked. Uh, I don't know if he ever found out his nickname. But, uh, you know, uh, it's interesting. And, And here we've got Barnabas. And what was his nickname. His Sunday name was Joseph. What was his nickname? Son of encouragement. Why? Because even by this time, he was known as someone who brought encouragement to others. So we're going to have a look at uh, Barnabas, see the kind of things he did. And our first point really is that Barnabas encouraged a young believer. And we find that in Acts chapter 9 and verses I've got some I've got some of the verses up there, but just for context, I'm going to read from verse nineteen to verse thirty. Verse nineteen to verse thirty. And if you have a Bible and you want to follow that along, or if you've got your device and want to follow that along, so halfway through verse nineteen, it says this Saul, and of course we're talking about the apostle Paul here. He he began to use the name Paul in Acts chapter 13 but here he is Saul he has just been converted he's met the Lord Jesus the risen Jesus and the Damascus road uh, he was in, uh, converted and he 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 had to really <clears throat> flee from Damascus because they were they were after him how could someone who was such a staunch Orthodox Jew uh, persecuting this this sect of people who followed this man Jesus, and now he's become one of them. Can't have that, and they were out to get him. And so it says halfway through verse nineteen, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished. And they asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call in this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. And when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul in his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly 
in the name of Jesus. And so Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea, to the port, and they sent him off to Tarsus. That was where he came from initially. And so we're introduced here to to Saul. And the thing is, uh, what happens is he comes up to Jerusalem and, of course, he wants to make contact with the, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And nobody wants to go near him. Nobody wants to touch him with a barge pole. Why? Because they're afraid. They say, is not this the man that just not all that long ago, he's getting letters from the highest religious authorities in Jerusalem, and he is out to kill us. And now, you know, we, he sort of come here and, and well, who's going who's gonna to meet him? And, you know, I, I get that. I remember way back in Istanbul, uh, when I was doing Bible teaching in the little churches and fellowships. I remember one evening, particularly, it was a Wednesday evening, and there was a group of about eight of us, and uh, I was doing teaching. We would meet from seven o'clock till eight. We'll have Bible teaching, 15-minute break, and then from 8.15 to 9.15, another hour. And uh, I remember one evening, someone joined us someone that no one knew and he came in he had a, a jeans he had a leather jacket I can still picture him and uh, you know people said uh, oh uh, <coughs> who are you uh, oh I, I go to the fellowship the church in Besiktas that's an area of Istanbul and one of them said oh you'll know Ahmet in the Besiktas church now Ahmet was a kind of fella Everybody knew Ahmed was quite a boisterous sort of figure. He said, eh, I'm, I'm not sure. Well, as soon as he said that, we thought, wait a minute. He says he goes to Beshiktas Church. He doesn't know Ahmed. Who is this person? Well, he stayed for about an hour. And when the break came, he disappeared, never came back. He was probably from the security services checking us out. And often what we find in Turkish context, if, if someone brings a brother or a sister or a cousin to faith in the Lord Jesus, that's fine. We know the history, we know the background. But when someone comes out of the blue into a church and says that they have become a Christian, there are always these questions. Where does this person come from? Is this person genuine? And often they're, they're a plant put there by the security services or whatever. Now, we don't have that kind of thing here in our country, not yet anyway, but you can see, you know, how the believers in Jerusalem were afraid. Is this just a big charade? Saul is pretending to be a believer. We all go and we meet him, and the next thing we're all arrested and we're thrown into prison. But the thing is, what happened? Someone did go and meet with him, and who was that person? That person was Barnabas. Barnabas was prepared to put his life on the line and to reach out and to meet Saul 
and to bring him to the other leaders. Not only was a man of great encouragement, he was a man of great courage. I just think to myself, what what if nobody had befriended him? What if nobody had befriended Saul? No letters, no journeys. Uh, How many potential Pauls have we let slip away in our churches? And we need to look out for new believers. And some of these new believers may well turn out to be significant people of God. And so we can note that this initial friendship of Barnabas and Paul led to a continuing friendship and working together. And then as we move on to chapters 10 and 11, uh, we can see this new movement of the gospel as it breaks out and bursts out of its Jewish circle into the Greco-Roman world, right into the, the pagans, the Greeks, the Romans, and so on, and the good news of Jesus is impacting them. So, Barnabas encouraged a young believer. And the second thing, and we're going to move over to Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 24, Barnabas encouraged a young church. Let's turn over to chapter 11. And uh, we've got that here. Uh, I'm going to read from verse 19. And this is an account of the church in Antioch, that's Syrian Antioch. It's actually down in the far uh, southeastern corner of Turkey, you know, where it it actually uh, borders with Syria. It's still there today. It's called Antakya in Turkish. Now, verse 19, chapter 11 of Acts. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, they travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks. That's just really a term for non-Jews. Also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And so we see this exciting development as the gospel breaks out of its sort of Jewish circle, spilling over into the wider world. And, uh, and, and, and here in Antioch, well, you know, people who are not Jews uh, heard the message and, and, and they were uh, converted. Big new revolutionary things happening in Syrian Antioch. And of course, this church, because of these new things that were happening, well, the church leaders in Jerusalem needed to sort of check it out, make sure it was, I was going to say kosher, I don't know if that's the right term, but, you know, it was to make sure that it was, you know, things were were okay. And so they also wanted to send support. So who did they send? They sent Barnabas. 
And what did Barnabas do when he got there? Well, in verse 23, we can see that. Barnabas did what he was good at. Barnabas encouraged. And he did what he was gifted at. And you know, I think there's a lesson here for us as well, because you know, I've so often seen people, I've so often seen people struggling to be good at things that they're obviously not gifted at. And I remember someone told me a while ago, they said, you know, Derek, concentrate on what you're gifted at and develop that. Now, of course, if you're in a very small church, you've got to be a jack of all trades. <laughs> but in a larger church where there are various different gifts all around, it's good to concentrate on what God has gifted us in. Is it hospitality? Is it encouragement? Is it teaching? Is it looking out for others? Is it what, what, what is it that God has gifted us in? He has given each of us gifts, and, we, and that's exactly what Barnabas did. He was an encourager. And he stuck at that. And that's what he did. But, but wait a minute. Before we leave here, uh, let's look at verse 25. Still in chapter 11, Acts chapter 11. Now, I think Barnabas was absolutely amazed at what was going on in Syrian Antioch. It was a very, it was a large city in these days, cosmopolitan city, and he could see the, the work of God growing, and he could see people coming to faith. And I think he thought, we cannot cope here. What we've got to do is find more gift, bring the gift in uh, to meet the opportunity. And he thought, well, who, who would be gifted to do this? And he thought of Paul. And so he, gets, he, he travels from there to Tarsus. And he finds Paul and he brings him back. And see, so what we've got here is that Barnabas, he actually sees the opportunity. He actually sees the gift. And he brings them both together. And that is something that church leaders should be looking out for all the time. All the time. And there's something I've always been amazed at and always quite impressed by is the way that some of the large uh, football teams, I was thinking of Manchester United under Alec Ferguson uh, when they were doing an awful lot better than they are at the moment. And, but, but I noticed, I, I couldn't help but notice that many of the people of that generation playing under him were people who had been brought up through the junior ranks. And of course, these teams have scouts that go out and they're watching the junior matches, they're watching the school matches, and they're looking for talent. And then they see in a young fella, uh, maybe say quite extraordinary talent, and then they go and they speak to him and then they sort of sign them on into their junior ranks and so on. And then they grow up and some of them don't make it, of course, but some of them do. And, and so that particular uh, era there contained a good number of players who had been brought up through the, the youth ranks of, of the team. And there's a sense in which, as church, that's what we should be doing. Looking out for the next generation of church. Identifying gift. Linking it up with opportunity. And that's what Barnabas did here. To, to, that we need to be spiritually proactive in that regard. And leaders really need to be looking out for this. And what was the result? Well, growth and consolidation. 
and this led to a long working relationship between Barnabas and Paul. And actually, if we turn over to Acts uh, 13, the first few verses, they're all there in that church in Antioch, big cosmopolitan church, and that church has consolidated. It has now become a sending church, and they and Barnabas and Paul are sent out uh, with others from that church into a, <clears throat> a journey to take the good news into the uh, other parts of the Roman Empire. And so that's... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, but something else I noticed too, you know, when, when Luke, when he's writing his account, it's sort of Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. But then eventually you read Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. And it's no doubt, I'm sure, that Paul was by far the best uh, orator, probably the best preacher and debater. That might not have been all of Barnabas's gifts. But it does strike me that Barnabas wasn't bothered by the fact that although he started off being the sort of the predominant one, he then became uh, the lesser one. And I don't think that bothered Barnabas. He was a man who was not only courageous, but a man who was very humble. And then moving on to our third uh, point here, uh, Barnabas encouraged a young failure. We're going to turn over to Acts chapter 15. <clears throat> Acts chapter 15. And um, <clears throat> we're going to be reading from verses 36 <clears throat> to <clears throat> 41. Sometime later, this is after they'd, uh, <clears throat> Paul and Barnabas uh, had been on a, a journey, a missionary journey. They'd gone over to Cyprus and then they crossed over from Cyprus over to the Turkish coast, to Antalya, and up into the Taurus Mountains, to Iconium, uh, Lystra, Derby, so on, and then all back the way and back to Serene Antioch. But uh, some time had passed, and uh, <clears throat> they felt it was time to embark on another journey. So verse 36, sometime later Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing a sort of follow-up visit. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So what, what's happening here? Surely we don't, surely it cannot possibly be happening Two full-time Christian workers, two spiritual leaders, and, and they fall out. No, that, that, surely that, we, we never fall out with each other. I mean, you know, I mean, the thing is, the Bible never hides faults in things, and I'm very glad about that. And there was, as the NIV translates, such a sharp disagreement. They had a mega fallout. 
And what was happening? Well, you know, <clears throat> where does this difference of opinion come from? Well, it's quite uh, clear, really. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 13, this is the source of it. You know, they'd gone through, they'd taken Mark with them, of course, on the first missionary journey. Uh, they'd gone over from Antioch to Cyprus. They'd spent time in Cyprus. They'd crossed over from Cyprus onto the Turkish mainland and into the, the what's called the region of Pamphylia, the Roman <clears throat> province of Pamphylia. And uh, it says this in verse 13 of chapter 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. That, that's all that Luke tells us at that particular point. But he fills it out here a bit more in chapter 15. Basically, Mark wasn't up to the job. And Mark, as soon as they hit the, the ground in the Turkish coast, uh, he hightailed it back to his mummy's house in Jerusalem. Now, you know, the thing is, when I've, you know, I remember once being in Antalya and uh, a group of us actually traced the route, some of the route from Perga, the old Roman road up, you, could, you can still see some of it as in existence. And I'll tell you this, it was treacherous because that road crosses torrents and rivers and goes up through mountain passes. And of course, you, you, so I mean, it's just very, very hard physical terrain. You're actually, you know, going up to Pisidian Antioch from Perga. You're actually, you know, on the, the foothills of the Taurus Mountains. And as well as that, not only is it physically, physically hard, it's actually, it was very dangerous because you had bandits and robbers and all kind of stuff as well. And then you had illness and swamps and things like that. And, and so Mark, he was faint-hearted. Uh, he was uh, <clears throat> probably not up to the task at that particular time. And I think Paul thought, if we take Mark with us again, is he going to bomb out? And is he going to desert again? And so Paul took Silas on the second journey. And what did Barnabas do? Well, he didn't give up on Mark. He took him on an alternative journey and he went to Cyprus again. Now, of course, Cyprus was Barnabas's homeland. It was familiar territory. And I think, too, because Barnabas and Mark were cousins, Mark probably had family over there as well. So Barnabas, I think he saw great potential in Mark, although he wasn't quite there yet. And so he takes him and he invests in him. And what happened? Well, Luke follows Paul's activities in Acts. And in the New Testament, well, do we ever hear of Mark again? Well, yes, we do. And it's certainly not the last we hear of Mark because he pops up in Colossians and Philemon. And so this would be now about 12 years after this event. What we've got is we've got uh, Paul writing to the church in Colossae, not all that far from Ephesus. We saw a picture of Ephesus this morning. And this is what Paul says in verse 10 of chapter 4. And Paul's in prison, <clears throat> his first imprisonment. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you greetings, as does Mark. What? Mark? 
It cannot possibly be the same Mark. It cannot possibly be the deserter. And, but the thing is, Paul goes on to clarify, not any old Mark, but Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. So whatever Barnabas has done with Mark... Mark is back in the fray again and is among Paul's uh, colleagues and workers and so on. And there he is. And he gets a mention there. And likewise in Philemon, he, uh, he, gets, a, he gets a mention there as well. And uh, in Philemon, chapter 24, you'll see it up there. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So he calls Mark one of his fellow workers. Now, what a change from Acts chapter 15. No, no, we will not take Mark with us. He, remember, he deserted us. Twelve years on, what we've got is Mark is described along with Paul's uh, <clears throat> workers. Uh, fellow workers. But you know, around uh, a number of years later after that, uh, there's a very significant mention of Mark and he pops up again. And uh, circumstances were very different this time. Paul is in Rome. This is his second imprisonment. And he's writing probably, well, as far as we know, the, his final letter. He's writing it to Timothy, who's, who's in Ephesus, sorting things out there. And Paul feels alone and there are many people that have left him. And, and Demas, a companion whom he's mentioned before, Demas has deserted Paul, having loved this present world. Very sad words. And others are off on various tasks and, and only Luke is with Paul. And Paul needs a strong, trustworthy, sound company. And so Paul writes to Timothy... In chapter 4 of Second Timothy, in verses 9 to 11, and, and, this is, and this is what he says. It's quite incredible, really. He says, verse 9, 2 Timothy 4 and 9, Do your best, Timothy, to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, no doubt, in ministry to encourage the churches. Titus has gone to Dalmatia, over Croatia way, and no doubt in ministry there. Only Luke is with me. And then he says these words. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. And so what has happened uh, Paul wants Mark. Is this the same Mark of, of Acts 13 and 13, the wee boy that runs back to his mummy in Jerusalem? Is this the same Mark in Acts 15 and 38 that caused the, uh, the disagreement between Barnabas and Paul? Well, what's happened? Well, you know, over the space of about 17 years, Barnabas has been investing in Mark. And now we see the fruit of that. Barnabas has given Mark another chance. Oh, you know, to be given another chance sometimes, it can be a wonderful thing. But often, often we mess up first time. And then we have gracious people who are prepared to give us 
another chance. And Barnabas had discipled Mark, and now 17 years later, in the place of the deserter Demas, Paul requests the ex-deserter Mark. Isn't that amazing? I find that staggering. And Mark is no deserter now. No, no. Mark is mature. He's spiritual. He's up to the task. He's now a solid man of God. How many believers remain undeveloped because no one has taken the time to encourage them? One of the, one of the sheer delights I experience going back to Istanbul every now and again is going to different Turkish fellowships and seeing people, I think particularly of the fellowship that we belonged to when we were in Istanbul. And do, do you know what? When we were in Istanbul, Heidi and I were both there in December. And I know that she was really moved when she saw the young men that were leading the church were the same young men that she taught in Sunday school. See, to be inputting into people, into young men, into young women, and and, uh, encouraging them to be women and men of God. And uh, this is what happened with Mark. And so in closing, a little summary through Barnabas's life and through his actions, <clears throat> we can see powerful examples of spiritual fruit. We can see the continuing effects of Barnabas's ministry of encouragement. We, we saw the growth of the church in Antioch, how that church in Antioch developed and how he, he brought Paul uh, from Tarsus and got him there. And there they were there for quite a while. And so we come to Acts 13 and we see this now, a big cosmopolitan church, a sending church where they're sending people out. Uh, and then we see the, the encouragement in the life of, of, of Paul himself. How Barnabas reached out to him in Jerusalem where no one would touch him with a badge pole and bring him into the fold. And then we see Barnabas's input into the life of Mark. And you know, th these are the only th these are only the things that we know about. I'm sure you know <laughs> Barnabas probably encouraged hundreds and hundreds more people. Uh, but but that's what we see. And so the challenge comes to us today in Hamilton: is do we encourage others? Do we encourage others? You know, uh, particularly leaders need encouragement. So often what happens is leaders get burnt out or, or they, can, they can go into a, a depression or they can, uh, they can just get exhausted. And, and, you know, encouragement and words of encouragement is like oxygen. It's, it's like oxygen. And so... Uh, with this message comes homework. No, come on, Derek, you know, May, June, the exams are all passed and, you know, we're not doing any homework anymore <laughs> for a while. But actually, th th this, is, this is the practical application here. 
Who will we encourage today? Who will we encourage this week? Look around this church. Who needs encouragement? Let's be a Barnabas and let's encourage. Father, we thank you for what we read in the scriptures. And we thank you for these lessons that that are there, that jump out of us, that stare us in the face. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to imbibe these examples and help us to be encouragers of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.